0: What is going on, movie lovers? It's Friday morning, and that means another edition of No Content for Old Men. This is the podcast where every week I give you reviews of the latest movies and some streaming suggestions for your weekend. This week really feels like a big week uh, because the streaming wars have kicked into high gear. (laughs) We have news on the industry front, and we have a whole host of new shows to talk about. We're going to be hitting eight new movies and TV shows that... I think really define and explain the current state of the streaming wars. So it's going to be a packed show. We're breaking the normal format. It's going to be all new movies and shows, which ones should you and shouldn't you pay attention to. So lots to get into, uh, about the streaming wars. In many ways, Conversation about the media industry has begun outpacing the discussion of the actual products we consume from these companies, and frankly, that's because these things are just more interesting. Massive news came out this week regarding AT&T's sale of WarnerMedia, which is the umbrella company over HBO Max, Warner Brothers, CNN, and the other Turner Cable networks, to Discovery, which is the company behind Food Network, Cooking Channel, Travel Channel, and the like. Now, billions of dollars change hands every day, sure, but AT&T's decision to exit the streaming wars just a few years after their very splashy acquisition of Warner signals the first of what many believe to be many dominoes to fall. The belief is that the landscape cannot support all the current entrants, and more consolidation awaits, causing an arms race frenzy as each company tries to secure a share ...before the metaphorical music stops. For example, there were rumors this week that Amazon might buy MGM Studios, which is most notably the home of the James Bond franchise. Now, in some ways, this competition could be good for viewers. Each streaming service will be putting big bucks behind building the most undeniable library offering. Though, it remains to be seen whether that will bolster or iron out the more niche content that has flourished in recent years. This week feels like a real turning point. As the media company Musical Chairs game spins into high gear, companies are also beginning to release all the projects they've been sitting on for the past year because of the pandemic. It feels like this week might be the start of a year packed with new releases on every streaming service all the time, all competing for your attention. To celebrate, I'm breaking my usual format to review eight new movies and TV shows across all of the major platforms. Here's what you should and shouldn't be paying attention to. First up is Those Who Wish Me Dead on HBO Max. Now, I'd hoped that Taylor Sheridan had snuck one more Sheridan special through the system before he got locked into his mega holding deal with Paramount, especially because this Montana set thriller takes place just miles from where he's set his hit show Yellowstone. Now, the promise of a Sheridan special has always been an entertaining as hell genre story that's elevated by big ideas. So, like, Sicario is an action movie that's really about the moral complexity of government agencies, or Hell in High Water is a bank robbery movie that's really about the greedy banking system making men desperate, and Wind River is a neo-noir that's really about the preservation of Indian land. Those Who Wish Me Dead is an on-the-run thriller that's not really about anything angelina jolie stars as a smoke jumper suffering from ptsd kinda it's more just a case of episodic act (laughs) saturday interspersed between feats of superheroism jolie pulls off all the athleticism of the role without accessing any vulnerability even as she protects a kid being hunted because his murdered father gave him government secrets the kid's trauma is at one point just played for laughs. Still, this movie does hit all the beats of a successful, successful thriller, even if it does so predictably. You got Aiden Gillen, aka Littlefinger from Game of Thrones, and Nicholas Holt playing a Fargo esque bumbling assassin duo. You got John Bernthal playing a doomed cop. Seriously, John Bernthal is the new Sean Bean. The dude dies in every single role I've ever seen him in. And you got a one-scene drop-in from Tyler Perry, which gives the movie a little more heft. Now, totally separate from the movie's quality, I must say that HBO's new strategy of same-day theater and streaming releases has done a good job of feeling more eventized than the Netflix Friday drops, which do little to discriminate between a prestige movie and new episodes of The Floor is Lava. This movie felt like a big deal, and it felt like a capital-M movie. For me... And for listeners of this podcast, that matters. Next up was Netflix's big release of the week, The Woman in the Window. Now, this movie is a great reminder to cool your jets when you see the latest announcement of some project that seems too good to be true. This movie had it all. Written by acclaimed playwright Tracy Letts, directed by Joe Wright, who made Pride and Prejudice, Anna Karenina, Atonement, Dark Sour. It's starring Amy Adams in hot pursuit of her first Oscar, alongside Gary Oldman, Julianne Moore, Jennifer Jason Leigh, Wyatt Russell, and newsletter favorite Brian Tyree Henry, who just continues to put in awesome performances in tiny parts in crappy movies. Seriously, BTH, my guy, fire your agent. (laughs) When the trailer dropped for this movie, I featured it on Trailer Watch, and predicted that Adams was headed for the awards stage. Alas, making movies is really difficult. This one just didn't come together. The singular location feels extremely inert, even boring, and the big twists fall somewhere between predictable and extremely disappointing. At this point, the unreliable female book adaptations are a well-worn genre. You got the girl on the train, you got sharp objects, and then Gone Girl being the only highlight of the group. In this movie, it does little to extend or subvert Those tropes. The acting talents in every scene salvage it from being a total disaster, but I'd imagine this is a movie that a ton of people are going to click on because of all the talent, and only a small percentage of them will actually finish. Another release on Netflix this week was The Mitchells vs. The Machines. Uh, watching this movie was one of those moments in life where you're confronted by your own age. Seriously. This movie is told in the language of the internet. And more specifically, that slice of the internet occupied by hyper-tech-literate, chaotic, ADD-riddled Gen Zs. (laughs) It shares a lot of DNA with Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, except the music and pop culture of millennials is replaced with social media and memes. It's one of those animated movies for kids that resonates with adults, too focusing on a father-daughter relationship as she's about to head across the country for college, except, of course, that there's also an apocalyptic situation taking place when a bunch of AI robots launched by an Apple-esque tech behemoth suddenly go rogue in full-on iRobot-style and attempt to imprison the entire human race. This is a Sony animation production, which means we're getting the same animators that turned out the groundbreaking style of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, matched with a couple comedy-obsessed co-directors and a loaded voice cast. Netflix was smart to scoop it up because it's the type of movie that kids are going to want to re-watch 100 plus times. I, on the other hand, needed some deep breaths and some water to recover from the experience. Whew, I really am getting old. Next up, we're spinning over to Amazon Prime Video and their big release of the week, which is The Underground Railroad. Amazon has been throwing crap against the wall to see what sticks for almost a decade now, (laughs) whether it be indie movies, niche TV shows, or the looming billion-dollar Lord of the Rings prequel. Luckily, their seemingly infinite amount of cash allows them to write off major strategy changes as incidental cost in the goal of growing and retaining a subscriber base that will then buy toilet paper. (laughs) I'm not sure why the example given is always TP, but here we are. The rumor mill is currently ablaze with their latest potential plan, purchasing MGM Studios, which would make Amazon one of the preeminent content studios in the world and a true competitor to Netflix, if they want to be. Now, I'm all for it if it means giving budgets and opportunities to Barry Jenkins, a man whom the title artist better describes than filmmaker. Every frame of his projects, like If Beale Street Could Talk and Moonlight is beautiful. It's like a beautiful painting, highlighted by his signature portrait style shots of characters staring into the lens and expressing far more than dialogue ever could. His latest project is challenging by design. It's a 10 hour deep dive into slavery adapted from a novel that supposes the Underground Railroad was an actual locomotive. It's patient, even abstracted parts, trusting viewers to engage deeply with the material in order to appreciate its power. Like any good piece of art, each episode sticks with you long after the credits roll. But whew, it's a really heavy experience. Alright, we're switching our focus over to TV the rest of the way here, and... The TV show of the moment is undoubtedly on HBO Max, Sunday Nights, it's *Mayor of Easttown. Now, Warner's media's most valuable asset to their new owners, in my opinion, more than the DC universe or the streaming rights to Citizen Kane and all those classic movies, is their sustained ability to monopolize Sunday night prestige television. It may not appeal to the largest possible audience, but these are the type of shows that quote-unquote everyone is talking about that really pressure you into signing up, the baton passes seamlessly from Hugh Grant and Nicole Kidman in The Undoing to Kate Winslet now in *Mayor of Easttown, which for the record is way, way better than its predecessor. Overlapping mysteries provide enough plot momentum to sustain what's really an anthropologic investigation of a small rural Pennsylvania town where everybody knows everybody and nobody ever leaves. There's twists and turns, including an absolutely shocking moment in last Sunday's installment. But the small human moments here are just as thrilling. Alright, next up, we're staying on HBO Max, and we're talking about Hacks, Hacks. now, I'm a real sucker for HBO's current comedy calibration, which focuses on high-concept stories told with a cohesive cinematic construction. Okay, enough C's. <laughs> the second season of Barry might legitimately be my favorite TV season of all time, and HBO has done something similar here with Hacks, a half-hour show about an over-the-hill comedian's relationship with a young comedian she brings on to write jokes. If that premise sound reminds you of funny people, it's because it's the exact same premise as funny people. <laughs> Except here, it's gender swapping Adam Sandler and Seth Rogen for Gene Smart and Hannah Einbinder. Einbinder? I don't know, I'm not sure how to pronounce that because she's brand new onto the scene. Um, and the other change they made was moving the location from Los Angeles to Las Vegas. Now, that second change in particular provides an infinite well of comedic situations which relieves a lot of the pressure to cram in a million jokes to every episode. Now, that's not to say that the show isn't funny, and even more impressive is the confidence, even swagger, that the show carries itself with. We're only two episodes in, but I have to complete trust that they're going to put together a good season from what we've seen so far. Next up, we're talking about Apple TV Plus and their show Mythic Quest, specifically season two, which just came out a couple weeks ago. Now, my year of complimentary Apple TV Plus from buying my laptop is about to run out. And really, the only reasons I'd consider paying to keep it would be this show or if uh, I wanted to rewatch Boy State. Nobody tell this to my friend who works for a show that was just recently announced by Apple (laughs) about to go in production. Uh, Anyway, this show is the closest thing currently on the air to The Office. So if you love The Office, you're going to like the show. It's a workplace sitcom set in the office of a video game developer that's funny, but also clever and insightful about workplace dynamics in 2021. The show totally caught me by surprise with its first season last year led by It's Always Sunny and Philadelphia star Rob McElhaney, I was expecting something more juvenile. <laughs> the recently released second season is even more ambitious, with even more to say about post-pandemic world while reeling off a joke a minute. If you've got the service or if you have an Apple product purchase coming in your near future, I would heck highly recommend this show. All right, last but certainly not least, we're talking about Peacock's new show, Girls 5 Eva. <laughs> One does not have to make much of a logical leap from this week's Warner Media News to the prediction that Peacock could be next the next victim on the Streaming Wars food chain. Already, the rumblings have started about a Viacom, which is the company that owns CBS, and NBC Universal merger Something that would have been absolutely unfathomable. Even five years ago, it would have been crazy. Um, if Peacock is going to survive, or at the very least, return value in a potential sale, then it's going to need to produce more shows like Girls 5 Eva. It's a dynamic concept, tracking a reunion tour for a washed-up, one-hit-wonder 90s girls band with exactly the right amount of sincerity, which is to say, none. It has this that classic rapid-fire sitcom joke pacing leaning more into the ridiculous than the relatable. But with a funny cast, including Busy Phillips and Renee Elise Goldsberry of Hamilton fame (laughs) and the watchful eye of producer Tina Fey, it's extremely reliable for the kind of dumb, fun show that, let's be honest, we all binge. All right, guys, that's going to do it for this week's show. It was a packed one. Thanks for sticking with me this far. um, You can get in touch with me at Mr. Matt Craig on Twitter or through my newsletter, which is at mattcraig.substack.com. Over there in this week's uh, written newsletter, you're going to also find a very special edition of Trailer Watch, uh, where the first ever reader-requested Trailer Watch, which is talking about the news and the release of the trailer for Dear Evan Hansen, a stage musical that i loved but uh the trailer has me (laughs) with very very uh strong concerns (laughs) i will say for the moody movie adaptation which is coming september and uh we'll be battling in the year of musicals it seems like with west side story and in the heights anyway uh Head over there to check out that. Next week's show, not exactly sure, but the releases are coming just fast and furious, so I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about. Um, Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead, maybe. (laughs) Spiral? Maybe? The new Saw movie? Probably not. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, thanks, uh, as always, for listening, and until next week, guys, I guess, I'll see you at the movies.